You are listening to Radio Free Humanity, the Marxist humanist podcast. My name is Brandon Cooney. And I'm Andrew Klein. To hear more episodes of Radio Free Humanity, to read more about the issues discussed, or to join in the conversation, please visit MarxistHumanistInitiative.org. You can also make a donation to the podcast there on the website. While our podcast is hosted by MHI, the views expressed by the co-hosts and guests of Radio Free Humanity are their own. They do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of MHI. On today's episode, we will be talking about this. She made it through completely unscathed, not an even tiny little bruise on her body. You can't constantly center your own like lived experiences. You're not there to like center yourself in every drama. If you have an opportunity to strike a blow against Wall Street and the massive inequality and suffering that it causes, you don't have the right to refuse to do that because you're like angry and irritated by one of your colleagues. That's not what you're there for. That's like what high school is for. That of course is Glenn Greenwald making fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for her experience of surviving the fascist insurrection on January 6th. Andrew and I will be joined once again by Andrew Clard, and we will be talking about Glenn Greenwald, about sexism in the left, and about many other things. But first, as we do in every episode, before we get to our main segment, we're going to take a few minutes to talk about some current events. So we're going to talk today in our current events section about the fallout or the aftermath of Trump's second impeachment acquittal, where things, I guess, lie now in the struggle against Trumpism. Andrew, what are your sort of opening thoughts here? I think it's now very, very clear that the root problem is not Trump himself. He's a symptom, nor, you know, McConnell and the Republicans in, in Congress. It's the Republican base. And so even people who would want to break with Trumpism, like obviously McConnell wants to because he acquitted Trump and then denounced him up and down the moment <laughs> the thing was over. Even people who would want the party to break with Trumpism cannot do it without just putting in a wedge that splits the uh, Republican Party in two. would probably be split in two anyway. And the Republican senators that did manage to vote to convict him are facing all sorts of backlash. And there were the rare, the rare breed of Republicans that had this or that uh, Pat Toomey's not running for re-election. You know, they have particular circumstances that allow them to have a little more freedom of movement or freedom of opinion, a little bit of insulation from the mob that most Republicans don't have. Right. They could get away with it. Nonetheless, the vast majority of them in the House and in the Senate who went with the Democrats instead of with the Trumpites, the vast majority of them have been censured by their local uh, Republican structures. That shows you where the base of a Republican Party is at. They are basically either embracing or are comfortable with fascist insurrection against the government of the United States and against you know any any form of uh, democracy here. There has been a call to have a 9/11 style commission to investigate the Capitol riot. There are potential civil suits, I think, pending against Trump and uh, some of his uh, conspirators. And there might even be other legal recourse to take against 
Trump and Giuliani and, and some of his co-conspirators. So there's those potential things in the works. And then there's also the ongoing uh, FBI investigation into all the terrorists who were involved in the Capitol riot. And the defamation and the defamation suits against the people who were claiming that the uh, you know, voting machine companies were rigging the election or at least had stuff that would allow the election to be rigged. Uh, I think those are not unimportant. <laughs> yeah, and the Georgia investigation into Trump's election interference. Yeah, everybody keep your eyes on Georgia. It's hugely important because it's, it's, it's a criminal investigation, and you've got a black woman prosecutor, and basically uh, all of the other structures within Georgia politics, Georgia government, that could be dealing with this issue, they can't because they're witnesses or whatever. So her office is, is the only independent one, and she does not look like she's going to back down here. Yeah, and supposedly she's considering RICO charges, racketeering charges. It's clear that because of the Republican base being down with Trumpism, immovable despite everything that they've done, storming the Capitol, insurrection. There's not going to be any merely political resolution of this issue. The only way to, to fight this now is, well, to, to try to do everything I think the Democrats are doing to try to uh, widen the divisions in the Republican Party. But yeah, the issue was going to the courts, and I think obviously we need a mass movement to fight the white nationalism, domestic terrorism that it's fostering, but also, for the first time, the national security establishment seems to want to go after white supremacists, and they're doing that in a big way, picking up the insurrectionists of January 6th. I mean, most recently, the son, grandson, nephew of all kinds of big name conservative people going way back, L. Brent Bozell, who was there among the insurrectionists, he's been picked up and charged. So he's like, his father is a big conservative guy, his grandmother, I guess it was, or something, was William F. Buckley's wife. So something, something like that. This is not just like your average deplorables. These are big name Republican deplorables who we already know are involved. And investigation could really uncover a lot, a lot of scorpions under a lot of rocks. So there are some people on the left who are hesitant to support, although and that's not like the FBI is looking for their support, but hesitant to support or voice approval of the FBI doing anything because of the history of the FBI targeting and undermining left organizations. You you noticed some of this on social media recently in response to some things MHI has posted. How, uh, what, do you, what do you make of that? Well, I think people are applying an old template. Basically, okay, we had this big uh, national security crisis around 9-11 almost 20 years ago, and it was allegedly against al-Qaeda, but really was used uh, against Muslims, and even the left had to worry. So we can't give in to the national security establishment, which is our enemy, and national security concerns. And they are concerned about the possible passage of a new domestic terrorism law. The problem is when, when you're facing this immediate problem where what's at issue immediately is not the passage of a domestic terrorism law, but the, the feds investigating 
and when they find something uh, that can be prosecuted, prosecuting against white nationalist domestic terrorism, are you going to condemn this? Are you going to side with the white nationalist domestic terrorists against the government here? And that seems to me to be just bonkers. Like, the, the FBI right now is not establishing new precedents in terms of their powers of investigation or laws aren't being passed. They're just exercising their existing powers. And instead of targeting Muslims or black power organizations, they're targeting neo-Nazis and the Proud Boys and QAnon people because they realize that that's the real existential threat in our country. Right. The, the FBI does not have the power to pass laws. Okay? They can only apply the existing laws, right? There's, it's not like after 9-11 when there's some new precedent being set in which, like, we have to worry about some slippery slope. It's actually, it seems like good news. It's the first time that the FBI that I can remember is actually going after the bad guys. Well, as well, I mean, I wouldn't say the only time. That's that's not fair. I mean, the FBI also tracks down people who are involved in child sex trafficking and serial killers and stuff, right? So they don't just target the left. They should go after the Jews with their space lasers. So it, it, I, I'm encouraged to see them going after these people, and I, I wish they were more aggressive going after these people. And I, I'd love it if they were able to track down all the links to local police departments. Yeah, and their information, you know, helps members of the public who want to fight white nationalism and domestic uh, terrorism. And in fact, it's the latter who've been providing a good deal of the intelligence to the intelligence services. And it's working. A lot of people are being outed, like in the case of this El Brent Bozell, the fourth guy. I mean, he, he was like a, a, a sports coach, basketball or something, at a, um, a Christian academy near Hershey, Pennsylvania. And the Christian academy says, well, we as an academy have no political position in this matter, and we're going to cooperate with the authorities. So anything that can drive wedges and disorganize these people and cause some of them to turn on the other ones and become informants uh and that's happening you know within like the proud boys for instance that that is all to the good because i mean people say well they're not going to go away but they can be forced more and more underground and that definitely helps to slow their recruitment efforts but i tell you the thing the thing is big it's all over this is not just some crackers in the south this stuff runs deep these people are, are, are all over and without passing any new laws just the application of the existing laws is a shitload that could be done to help ameliorate this problem ameliorate you you know only social revolution is going is going to get rid of this problem in the end yeah. well that's all the time we have for this current events section up next our discussion of glenn greenwald Okay, so today on Radio Free Humanity, we are welcoming back Angela Clard, whose voice everyone will recognize as the organizational secretary of uh, Marxist Humanist Initiative. She reads our Who We Are statement on every episode, and she has been on many episodes over the past year and a half or so. Um, so welcome back, Anne. Thank you very much. Today we're jumping into the fray and discussing what has been somewhat of a hot topic in the left in the past few weeks, and that was journalist and so-called leftist Glenn Greenwald's attack on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. A lot of people have been talking about the sort of blatant misogyny of his criticism of, of her and we want to not just repeat what, what others have said about the topic, but maybe offer some unique perspectives to the issue. So 
And maybe even before we summarize what happened, do you want to just briefly tell us what made you think this would be a good topic for us to talk about or what, you know, surprised or struck you about the what happened? Well, it's incredible that all these years after the start of the women's movement more than 50 years ago, that we can have such blatant misogyny still passing for leftism. Many of us don't think that Glenn Greenwald is a leftist at all, but something else that we'll discuss. But uh, the fact that this could be treated seriously by people is indeed shocking. Also, I want to make sure everybody knows what uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, because it's very important. So Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC as she is known, got a lot of attention for an Instagram video she posted on February 1st after the Capitol riot. Do you want to maybe summarize that, Anne? Sure. She put out on her Instagram a video of her speaking about what happened to her on January 6th and the insurrection. And she spoke very eloquently and movingly describing her fear as she ran from place to place looking for a place to hide. And she feared for her life. And she eventually took refuge in the office of Katie Porter, where she hid in a bathroom, barricaded herself in. Porter and her aides barricaded the doors. And she spent hours in terror before they were rescued. And when she describes all this in the video, she spoke about her fear uh, in, in very real terms. And in, I think it was afterwards, after she was attacked for this, then she said that she had been the victim of a sexual attack in the past. And this brought that back and she all she could think was not again, not again. In other words, she wasn't going to let it happen to herself again. I think she meant without fighting to the death. But uh, the point is that this added, um, I think, an important dimension to all the discussion of what happened on January 6th because uh, she was so detailed and eloquent and sincere, of course, stupid that you have to say that but when a woman says she's afraid afraid of physical attack of any kind uh, she's so often still in this day and age disbelieved so then when she got attacked by glenn greenwald and other people it was very hurtful for women in general okay and you know everything that aoc says the right wing just freaks out because uh, she's like the new Hillary Clinton and they just want to like use her as a punching bag. So she can't say anything without getting all this schoolyard uh, ridicule. So there's been all, all this back and forth of people trying to say that, you know, she was making things up and these, she was exaggerating and, and, um, but all that, a lot of that was coming from the right. But I think Anne's right that it was then surprising to see so-called leftists like Green, Glenn Greenwald jumping on the bandwagon and also using her as like a punching bag for them to for him to make some kind of some kind of point that he was pathetically trying to make. But let's just roll some tape of Glenn Greenwald talking so people can get the idea. Here he is on the Jimmy Dore show and 
the context is he's talking about the fallout politically of uh, GameStop's shares being driven up by Redditors. This week has been like the most amazing week of having the left and the right unite against Wall Street. Almost everybody across the spectrum supports what those Redditors are doing and is thrilled to see these hedge fund leeches suffering. And it has blown, it, it's created a major opportunity to regulate, to legislate, to reform. And Ted Cruz, whatever you think of him, reached out by saying, I agree with AOC about this. So that was an opportunity for right and left to join together to do something that supposedly her main reason for existing as a political figure, which is fighting income inequality. And instead she goes, turns around and says, fuck you, I don't wanna work with you. You guys got me murdered. You're a white supremacist. And suddenly the two camps divide again. And over here you have the red team and over here you have the blue team cheering like morons at a fucking high school football game again because she ruined that movement because all she wants to do is attack Republicans and fortify the Democratic Party. That is what the left has become and they know it. And that's why all that's left for them to do is do things like talk about your personality and, and occasionally mine. Okay, the only thing she does is like occasionally escalate her rhetoric about Republicans. Yes. Be like, oh, you're fascist, you're Nazis. She like use the words that like, that's zero, that's nothing. That's, that's just being an extra Democrat. That's right. I do want to say one thing. Like, I do believe that like AOC was genuinely rattled by what happened at the Capitol. I, I, she's been, she is the target of right-wing media in a pretty demonizing way. I'm sure it was like unsettling to have these mobs running through the Capitol. You have no idea if there are and what their intentions are. I'm sure that was scary. She made it through completely unscathed, not an even tiny little bruise on her body. Every other member of Congress in the Democratic caucus, including Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and others are equally demonized and they're fucking over it. They got over it. If you wanna be a member of Congress, you can't constantly center your own like lived experiences. You're not there to like center yourself in every drama. If you have an opportunity to strike a blow against Wall Street and the massive inequality and suffering that it causes, you don't have the right to refuse to do that because you're like angry and irritated by one of your colleagues. That's not what you're there for. That's like what high school is for. So I do want to just note, I, I believe that she was like genuinely alarmed by what happened, but it's time for her to move past that. He, he viciously attacked her, mimicking her, talking in a baby voice, saying, oh, I was so hurt. And he says, well, she, she didn't even have a scratch on her, so she couldn't have been hurt. This is a age-old response to men about violence against women. If a woman says she's raped, but she doesn't have grave bodily injury, she's considered to be possibly lying or surely lying. So if you have to have an injury and she didn't have an injury, then she didn't have a trauma. She didn't have a horrible fright. She wasn't terrorized. None of that without being hurt. His argument is just was just so absurd that I was, I mean, I mean and of course, a lot of people immediately recognized the absurdity, absurdity of the idea that there was going to be some alliance of Ted Cruz with progressive Democrats over regulating Wall Street after Ted Cruz is one of the most fascist members of the U.S. Senate and was in many ways part of this 
movement that led to this fascist riot. The idea that there was going to be some opening for them to regulate Wall Street just because of like one errant tweet that Ted Cruz had sent. And then the idea that the, the GameStop issue was some kind of progressive opening for like leftist critiques of something. Uh, I don't know what. Capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I guess somehow like the bunch of people on Reddit, like driving up a stock price is some like leftist protest that's going to like bring down capitalism or something. I don't know. And none of it really like holds together. It, it seemed clear that he has some other, well, he has a, you know, a certain orientation around politics that is like really tied up in nonsense. And, you know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. A doesn't lead to B and B doesn't lead to C. And but somehow it makes sense in his head. And it makes sense for him that he should like, um, make all these degrading comments about AOC um, on I actually think it makes some sense. Uh, I mean, yeah, the Ted Cruz thing was was just a, a hook to hang on his, his, you know, rage and, and, and uh, rant on well, you, you you explain it to me because I I can't make I can't follow the logic in it really. The, okay, the the underlying logic, which he didn't really make clear, but I think he says is this was a, a an opportunity to create a movement, and it wouldn't be a progressive movement as you and I think of it. Okay, it would be an anti-establishment coming together of anti-establishment progressives and you know, white supremacists and other anti-establishment types all to attack the neoliberal establishment, you know, the Democratic Party establishment, the Republican Party establishment. He, he, that's the unity that, that, that he wants. And he said, AOC at one time seemed to be part of this. And now she's just becoming part of the Democratic Party. And he's like profoundly disappointed and enraged and like all the rest. I, you know, I don't know if it was the most coherent presentation of that argument, but, but that is very clear to me that that's what he was saying. She, in one fell swoop, put an end to this movement that was a movement of left and right together. And that's what he was looking for against Wall Street, against the establishment, against the Democratic Party. The, the, move, the movement that he you're referring to was just the fact that people on both sides of the the aisle were were both interested in playing to the pro reddit gamestop crowd no i think he means that that is the movement the online voices you know on the right and the left you know the common people so to speak who you know were uniting against the hedge funds i see he does That's call it a movement but that wasn't a movement the whole like two sides cheering at a football game is Basically, he's just trying to dismiss this fascism versus people who don't want to be killed by fascist division in our country as some sort of irrelevant culture war that we can just ignore and it'll disappear if we just work on purely economic populist issues like regulating hedge funds. And even worse, what he's against is suddenly the two camps divide again. What he what he was celebrating and what he wanted to continue was the two camps uniting. Yeah. Okay. And they were, in a certain sense, and it's not, it's not about Ted, Ted Cruz, the two camps were uniting around this GameStop hedge fund you know, short selling stuff. 
And she went and said, you know, my, my safety and, and the future of democracy in this country uh, is more important than the kind of politics that Glenn Greenwald and Mary and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greenwald represent, you know? So Yeah. So Greenwald is like saying, you know, she's not the real minority person, right? <laughs> to leave are the real ones because they suck it up and didn't talk about it, uh, although they did. Uh, Tlaib talked about it on the House floor, being terrified. But that's what he's saying. So she's a she's just a feminist. Is what he's implying. This is not what he said. But we're not interested in your feminism. You re- may remember a couple months ago, she took it to the House floor that she was uh, harassed in a sexist way by another member of the house outside on the steps and um, it was unheard of to bring up something like that but you know these uh, feminists believe these matters are not personal they are political and Greenwald because of his views that that only the economic issues are, are important is of course denigrating anything feminist ignoring other things like racism but no one would dare say oh the Black Lives Matter people weren't even hurt in that demonstration why are they complaining other black people aren't complaining you know that's equivalent but you can still get away with that in some sectors of the so-called left and that's what I find most shocking of all and, and there's a recent history to this, because the kind of people who dismissed the resistance to Trumpism, who poo-pooed it and said Trump is a distraction, they constantly, constantly made fun of and, and, and disparaged the profound fear that tens of millions of people in this country and, you know, many, many, many more around the world felt about Trump coming to power and the, the profound stress and, and, and fear that, that have continued until uh, Trump lost the election, but even since, right, because the, the, the threat is not gone. What they've basically done to all of us for years now is tell us to suck it up, get over it, and unite behind their politics. They've been doing this for a very long time is what I want to say. And it's really horrible in this case to, to say, you know, there's not a scratch on her body, so she wasn't harmed. You know, we've talked a lot about this sort of economic populism of like the Jacobinite crowd, the Social Democrats, and they're uh, them pursuing a type of politics that really marginalizes what they dismiss as cultural issues, whether might call what other people might call the fight against sexism and racism and other oppressions. What they're, they're constantly trying to frame what left is by ignoring people's struggles for freedom, equality, dignity, and only framing um, leftism as being something that is centered around, like really centered in reformist populist economic issues. What you say about uh, Greenwald is true and that he represents a certain strand of pseudo-leftism that thinks because of um, their economic determinism that everything else is unimportant. But there's a particularity to this attack on a woman who was terrorized for being weak and exaggerating and possibly lying 
and get over it. You weren't hurt because you have no physical evidence of being hurt. These are all things that are directed at women all the time. And a uh, reporter named Jill Filipovic, Substack is her uh, blog, wrote a piece, Who We Believe, on February 2. And she discusses this. She takes this apart. And she says there are two different kinds of choosing not to believe. Men who don't believe because it allows them to avoid consequences. And there are women who don't believe because they're asking for consequences, responsibility, and culpability. And what she means by the latter is uh, you can't just tell people to get over it because one shouldn't get over it without some consequences, responsibility, and culpability. Uh, In other words, unless we deal with these attitudes, they're never going to change, just as we need to punish Trump so it won't happen again. We need to denounce this kind of sexism or it'll just keep going on and on forever. She points out that these same people who denigrate what AOC said as irrelevant, she talked about women in the resistance, which uh, if you read our web journal with Sober Senses, you'll see we've talked for a very long time about the resistance being the major force that could bring down Trumpism and specifically uh, the role of, of women and the women's marches and all the other organizations in which women are dominant or at least make up good half of it, but very often leaders and and dominating these movements. These uh, women in the resistance, the whole resistance is generally uh, frequently denigrated by this type of leftist also, the anti-neoliberals who don't want to talk about anything except income inequality and such. And she points out that Women in the resistance are the most organized force against Trump and the group that has been most consistently correct about him in the threat he posed has been wholly denigrated, largely ignored, and successfully caricatured into an embarrassing joke. These are the, quote, middle-aged wine moms of the resistance. Well, this was all a quote. So it all comes together in your attitude towards Trump as well as your attitudes towards women, these are great big overlapping issues, not only because the right-wing Trumpists want to go back to some golden age of America in which women uh, stayed in the kitchen, um, but because they're all afraid of the power of women and it's their energy and creativity that has been most um, damaging to Trumpism. Let me add this. Michael Tracy is another person who attacked her. His blasts are described in a Newsweek article by Saren Morris, February 2, who says, quotes Tracy's, quote, good to know that any loopy delusion expounded by a politician must now be respected and believed under the aegis of trauma. He said the AOC video is a, quote, masterclass in emotional manipulation a genuine political slash rhetorical skill, gotta hand it to her, close quote. So again, women are just emotional. There's no logic to anything they do. It's not political. That's these folks' main problem is how they define political. 
they mean in support of their politics. They liked her when she was talking about inequality, but not if she's talking about sexism. This critique of AOC, the AOC's comments as being, you know, not political because they were personal. I like the way you summarized that. The problems with that, Anne, I think it's important to bring forward. It has to do with people having a very narrow definition of what constitutes political or leftist thinking, and that the part of that construct of criticizing her because of she was expressing vulnerability or expressing, talking from personal experience, that um, there's something actually very important and political about, about that in itself that should be praised. And a lot of people, people, a lot of people praised her uh, comments because of that, because she was sort of expressing vulnerability and takes a lot of courage as a public figure to do that. I see what were the House managers doing in the in the trial of Trump for impeachment. They showed all these videos and quoted all these people who were scared and who were injured. And that was okay. That was considered political. So I, I object to, well, it's good to show your vulnerability. That's not what she was doing. She was trying to get across how very real her trauma was and that it can't just be dismissed and you can't just tell the women to get over trauma that's connected with sexual assault. And her mind, this was connected with sexual assault, whereas they would have hanged uh, Mike Pence if they'd found him. Who knows what they would have done to her and, he, and to Nancy Pelosi, possibly something having to do with rape and women's particular vulnerability. So it's a slightly different point from just making the experience real through describing it. It's the particularity of sexism that I think needs a whole lot more discussion because it's really unbelievable in this day and age that Greenwald could ever anytime get away with calling himself a leftist. A lot of people have denounced him. Uh, people have said he's no leftist, he never was, or he wasn't in the last few years. Uh, he's full of baloney. But the fact that we had to have this serious discussion in major left media, Newsweek isn't even left, you know, it's major news. Why do we have to have that 50 years after I thought the women's liberation movement had disposed of the argument that uh, women's issues, quote, women's issues are not important. Economic issues are the only important ones. Now, I realize that for Greenwald and these others, uh, there's a very good motivation. They probably don't even believe their own baloney. Now, how could Greenwald possibly, possibly believe that because there was no physical damage on her body, that she was not harmed? and nothing happened to her. He, he can't possibly believe this. The man lives in Rio de Janeiro, where the entire middle class and upper middle class population is continually in fear, and they, they live in, behind walls with barbed wire and so forth. So he doesn't believe this for a second. But he thought it would resonate because of something there in left culture. So he thought it was okay to say it. That's the point. Absolutely. That is exactly the point. He sounds like he believes it. He's so upset that she's ruined this wonderful alliance with Ted Cruz, which never existed. 
Hey, before we continue with this conversation, we are going to take just a minute to tell you about Marxist Humanist Initiative, the organization which sponsors this podcast. Marxist Humanist Initiative, or MHI, aims to contribute to the transformation of this capitalist world by projecting, developing, and concretizing the philosophy of Karl Marx and its further development in the Marxist humanism articulated by Raya Donayevskaya. The ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and today's many other social, political, and economic crises make this a moment to engage people in discussion of these ideas. In the U.S., we are faced with the threat of Trumpism triumphing an all-out authoritarianism extinguishing our right to carry on these discussions. Yet at the same moment, the multiracial movement for black lives has spread to every corner of the country and the world, launching a flood of activism and new ideas that deepen the concept of freedom. MHI is dedicated to the task of proving theoretically that an alternative to capitalism is possible. We are distinguished by our economic analyses in which we do not merely assert but demonstrate that the only opposite to the current world economic system is its abolition and replacement with one not based on the production of, quote, value, close quote. Because capitalism cannot be fundamentally reformed, attempts to reform it lead to an intensification of state capitalism, not to socialism. We are not a political party, nor are we trying to lead the masses who will form their own organization and whose emancipation must be their own act. But we have seen that spontaneous actions alone are insufficient to usher in a new society. We seek a new unity of philosophy and organization in which mass movements striving for freedom lay hold of Marxist philosophy of revolution and recreate society on its basis. Our ideas and actions, as well as our structure and rules, are guided by the interests of working people and freedom movements of people of color, LGBTQ people, other minorities, women, youth, and all those around the world who are struggling for self-determination in order to freely develop their own human natures. We have no interests separate and apart from theirs. To this end, we open our website to the widest possible dialogue with people around the world. We intend to practice as well as espouse a two-way road between our organization and people outside it as essential to developing a single dialectic in the relationship of theory to practice and as the way to assure the survival of Marxist humanism. Please join us. Yeah, so in, in preparation for this episode, we've looked at a lot of the uh, commentary around, in particular, what Glenn Greenwald and Jimmy Dore said on, Greenwald said it on Jimmy Dore's program, also re- regarding Michael Tracy, also regarding some of the those kinds of people's backlash against AOC, uh, even prior to this intervention by Greenwald in the AOC video. So among the, the, the pieces we looked at are the piece by Jill uh, Filipovic that uh, Anne was discussing in the Substack on February 2, Jeet Here in the Nation on February 3, Jacobin, interestingly, Leachy D'Amelio wrote on February 8th uh, in Jacobin about AOC and Greenwald and stuff, Ashley Reese in Jezebel on February 4, the Sarah Morris article that uh, Anne made reference to, and also, this is 
prior to the ASU video, there was a, a piece by Eric Levitz in New York's uh, The Intelligencer. And, you know, as we've discussed earlier in this segment, some of these folks just sort of accept this characterization of Greenwald as a leftist, uh, Jeet here in The Nation and Emilio in Jacobin. But other people, you know, are not accepting this as we've talked about. The piece by Ashley Reese and Jezebel calls him a post-left cynic. And there's much else going around where, where, where people are calling the, the characterization of uh, Greenwald as a leftist. They're calling that into question, and uh, that's welcome, and it's a long time in coming. Nothing that we came across really was in support of Greenwald or Dorr and so forth. We're ignoring Twitter comments and stuff. Real substantive pieces are what we're referring to here. But so much of the criticism was on very limited, narrow grounds. Uh, I mean, there was like a lot of focus on Greenwald's allegedly naive belief that Ted Cruz's offer of collaboration was in good faith. And I actually don't think that, personally, that Greenwald thinks that it was in good faith. Uh, you know, I think he was just looking for a hook to hang on uh, his thing that the left and right should have come together. Okay, but even so, there was this idea that he tactically miscalculated by believing in Ted Cruz's offer of collaboration. And then there's other uh, commentary, a lot of which focuses on tactical disagreement with various tactical proposals coming from that camp. Uh, in other words, they were saying that AOC and other progressives should have forced the, uh, a vote on the floor of the House of Representatives to get Medicare for all. They should not have voted for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker until she agreed to the House floor. Other people are pushing uh, back against that tactical assessment. Uh, and then a lot of the commentary focuses on specific factual claims Jeet here goes uh, after Glenn Greenwald's comment that Omar and Tlaib are, quote, fucking over it. Ashley Reese goes against Dorr's equation of uh, AOC and Adam Schiff. And there's also what we saw was a lot of the defense of AOC's style, earnest and emotional uh, and so forth. And that's not wholly irrelevant because... You know, she's a woman, and it goes to certain issues of sexism, but that's really a limited way of dealing with the, 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 the issue of sexism here. Uh, I, I thought that, if, you know, you really want a, a good piece on the, the sexism, read Jill Filipovich's article, which does not go into issues of style and emotion, and, and listen to what, what Anne's saying, frankly. But th- that was really the sum and substance of the critique that we're seeing about uh, what Greenwald and his ilk have, have done. Here in the nation, D'Amelio and Jacobin completely ignore the issue of the sexism in uh, Greenwald's attack, and none of these pieces criticizes or challenges what it seems to me to be motivating everything that Greenwald is doing, which is his left firstism, his belief that the main goal is for the left to win political power, you know, so this is no longer Marx's liberatory vision of the, the masses controlling society. It's all about we, the left, gaining power and wresting power from the establishment, including and especially what's standing in our way on the left, the, the, the mainstream Democrats. So nobody is bringing that into the mix as 
why Greenwald is doing this. Uh, none of them are criticizing the two things that follow from, directly follow from, uh, Greenwald's left-firstism, his prioritization of fighting against the mainstream Democratic Party, and amazingly to me, the red-brown collaborationism, his idea that the, you know, the anti-establishment left should uh, unite with the alt-right against the establishment, that, 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 that's like pervading everything he says against AOC in his rant. People did not comment on it. So they, they just don't seem to recognize that the attack on AOC is firmly rooted in um, Greenwald's left-firstism, his desire to fight the Democratic Party and collude with the far right. For instance, Reese, who wrote a good, fairly good piece in Jezebel, uh, she basically ascribed the online attack against AOC, not Greenwald specifically, to an overreaction against identity politics. But it's not just an overreaction against the identity politics. You know, Greenwald's got a lot of followers. Jimmy Dore's got, I don't know, 800,000 subscribers, followers, whatever it might be. There are people who back that kind of politics. They're not insignificant. And so it's not just overreaction against identity politics. It's wanting the left to have political power and making that the issue against prioritizing anything else, the fight against Trumpism, the, the issue of black lives and so forth. And in, in the main, a lot of these pieces just don't raise the issue of how can you call what these people are doing, where we get the, the red-brown collaborationism front and center blaring at us, how can you call that leftism? A couple of the pieces do that. Jill Filipovich's piece doesn't say that in terms of a category, but it's really about horrible kind of politics that is that is being represented by the, the, these attacks on AOC. To some, some extent, Ashley Reese raises this issue of how do we define the left? What is it what is the meaning of it, of saying this is on the left? She says the left should be reminded that sexism and racism are part of what they claim to fight against. And that's, of course, missing from Greenwald and his ilk. But those were exceptions. And so you could not like the fact that Greenwald went too far, but Greenwald went too far because it flows from his politics, his political orientation, his goals. And that's, I think, what the left has to reject in, in favor of Marx's liberatory conception uh, of a new society and of the struggle for that. I think, uh, you know, we could discuss this all day and in more depth, and particularly the thing Andrew closed with, that it's not Marx's liberatory theory, because we still sound like we're falling into some kind of a binary a choice that you have to make. Are you a feminist? Do you work in feminist things? Or are you a leftist in which you work in economic things? That's what has to be completely smashed as a concept of left and we're always trying to do that in, in, in MHI to, to break that down and expose it. So I don't I don't like the term that, you know, Greenwald went too far bending the stick or whatever. He's a sexist pig and we can't put up with sexist pigs anymore. We've had 50 years of women's liberation movement. We were supposed to be over this kind of stuff and many things have changed but many things have not and to anyone 
one to call this leftism or to cheer on these guys when they say these things and make fun of AOC is absolutely disgraceful and should be denounced from the rafters by any other form of left and should not be pigeonholed as, well, this is a a woman's issue or this is for the women's movement to deal with. And I can't emphasize that too much. And you've made a couple different um, references to the women's movement 50 years ago. Can you want to expand on that? Sure. When the what's called the second wave of women's liberation emerged in the late 60s, early 70s, this was long before the recent anti-rape and anti-sexual harassment movements began. Those issues were, of course, central to the movement and that women were so routinely mistreated. But it wasn't all there was to the movement. Women were raising all kinds of issues on every front, from housework to paid labor to respect to just every aspect of life. They had a very different vision of what society should be. And this was particularly true of women in the anti-war movement, the black liberation movement, the student movement, the left such as it was. Women came out of those movements criticizing those movements and forming their own organizations and movements in which they would not have to play a subsidiary role. Women used to make the coffee and um, men did the thinking and writing and speech making and uh, the women had a a vision of a different kind of society that they talked about that wasn't just in a background thing like the the left today oh someday we'll have a revolution and we'll have change in work relations and human relations no this was front and central with the women and that's what made the new movement so profound as Donayevskaya put it in her many writings on, on the movement and on women's liberation. Uh, It was because they came out of the left and turned against the left as it was that they could make great strides in ideas about freedom as well as the specific changes they were working for. But it was not an easy process. For example, I attended a international student conference in the summer of 1968. It was held at Columbia University and I still remember it because Frankly, I was um, shocked and traumatized by what happened there, even though I was only in the audience. But they had invited one woman to speak about the then very new women's movement. And she started to speak, and she was hooted off the stage for talking about women's liberation. She was literally not allowed to finish. She was chased away. Uh, You don't think anyone would do do that today, and yet here is this pseudo-leftist Greenwald sounding exactly like Trump, and he's not the only one. I mean, a lot of the left knows that it's got to be intersectional. So when you've got your anti-neoliberal conferences and you get women speakers and they talk about, quote, women's issues, close quote, and they manage somehow to rivet that to the anti-neoliberal struggle, everybody is now very fine with that. What they're not fine with is critique coming from within the left, you know, as Anne pointed out. That part has not changed. We attended a conference about two, two and a half years ago that was put on by Historical Materialism and Jacobin that was the co-sponsors. And we spoke on some panels, but not this one on women's reproductive rights that was a, a Jacobin people. And they spoke about the threats to abortion rights and the 
solutions that <clears throat> women were coming up with, the importance of medical abortions so that you didn't need surgery and that sort of thing. And not once did they mention Trump, what a role he was playing. And I got up and said, you know, excuse me, <laughs> we have to talk about Trump leading and allowing and encouraging a massive assault on women's right to choose and women's reproductive freedom. And they tried to shut me up, literally. They, they said, oh, that's not important, change the subject. So there is uh, still this fake division. So, and, and it's things like this, of course, that drive women uh, away from looking at leftist organizations and uh, going just to feminist organizations, and it's a real crime in my view. We need to talk a lot more about the integrality of, of these things with Marxism, women's rights with Marxism. And about, you you know, you were, you were talking about it like a, a half century ago. I mean, one issue at the time was the men in the left stood up and gave speeches, and the, the women uh, ran the Mimeo machines, which was the way they would produce documents back then. They would make coffee and so forth. How does the situation then compare to the situation now in terms of women's leadership on the left, do you think? Oh, there have been a lot of changes. Uh, nobody would dare say, you know, the women have to do the manual labor and the men do the thinking and writing and speaking. No one would say it. And they generally, organizations in the last 40 years or so, they do share the manual work. But we still have the men in the leadership and giving the speeches most of the time in what are called left organizations that have socialist in their name or Marxist or something like that. In many movement organizations, there's nothing like that. There are women in the leadership and often in the majority of the movement itself, in the resistance movements, in the anti-Trump, the women's march the movements that went on for four years, and in all kinds of other movements, climate change, anti-gun movements, other youth movements, heavily women. They're doing very important and profound work, but it's not that kind of unity that I'm looking for, that I was speaking about, where the grassroots activity is explicitly contributing to theoretical development and the ideas of Marx for a totally new society are tied together explicitly and worked out together explicitly. And it's the working out that constitutes the movement's own self-development towards revolutionary change and uh, really creating a new society. Nobody talks about creating a new society except MHI anymore because it's so far out, off the agenda of most of the pseudo-left. The most they can hope for is taking over the Democratic Party or putting economic issues further front or they think they're going to reform Wall Street. <laughs> what a joke. The capitalists are not going to give up Wall Street. It has an important function. Most of the left, though, is not as women-hating as Glenn Greenwald. I mean, apart from people like him, 
why do you think that there's this continuing problem of, you know, in self-identified left groups, why do you think there's this continuing problem that there's so few women in leadership? Oh, well, part of it is the left is part of the larger society, and we are so far away from uprooting sexism in the larger society that even though uh, young men are generally not the sexist pigs they were in my youth, they've been raised by feminist mothers, and you don't normally have that kind of automatic sexism. Oh, you can't play with me because you're a girl. You don't have that, but you have still much, much sexism embedded in the society. And we also have uh, the reaction against the women's movement and all the reforms of the the 1960s on. Uh, We have the uh, total reactionary theories being evinced by the Trump supporters where women are just denigrated. And I'm constantly shocked to see that there's still so much gross and unapologetic misogyny, such as the rape culture among groups of athletes and high school and college boys and men. There's still all kinds of assaults are accepted. And there's still all kinds of issues around sex and what's consensual sex and huge pressure on young women to sleep with guys who show any interest in them. I'm sorry, you asked about in the left. There's also few women in the leadership of the uh, so-called Marxist organizations, and I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One is that women, many women choose to go into feminist organizations. Instead, the issues are more immediately in need of they think of their participation. But also, I think there's sort of a a sexist culture, what actually I deemed to myself thinking about this, a sexist system akin to a racist system in the beliefs and traditions of left organizations that are basically hierarchical. I don't mean that the men go in and grab power and the women are nicer. I mean the actual structure and functioning of many left organizations where men are in the leadership because they've studied more Marx or Lenin or whatever, and so they become the experts and the leaders. And the women perform supportive roles, if not only making coffee, they're still not in that leadership. And I attribute that to the basically hierarchical structure and the very concept of organization that dominates the left. We have, in MHI, we have a whole different concept of organization, but we're still working on it. We don't think it's uh, been spelled out ever. And certainly it can't be hierarchical in, in that sense of who does the intellectual work and who does the supportive work. Uh, much of the left still has uh, goes along with their party form. They've got a hierarchical structure. They're going to lead the masses. They have to discipline their own members to follow the leaders. And it's a very, very sexist culture there. And that's a, another kind of systemic sexism, one that's, I think, particular to the left. That's all the time we have for this episode. It was great to have Andrew Clard with us again on the podcast today. She is always very insightful on whatever she's speaking about. Uh, maybe we'll have 
We're back again soon to talk about the history of the women's movement. I enjoyed getting to rant and rave about Glenn Greenwald and them, so I enjoyed the discussion too. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, to write to us, to share it with friends, to rate the podcast, and all those other good things. To learn more about these issues or others discussed on Radio Free Humanity, please do visit marxisthumanistinitiative.org.